from deep inside your audio device of choice. And cold. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's... I'm sorry. Hey, guys, if there's one thing that um, has been a consistent through line of this show across the years, and I'm ashamed to think that there is, I think it's... um, because, of course, petty consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. I think it's that from time to time I've felt the need to uh, remind the listening audience that it's useful sometimes in the face of the barrage of news stories about a particular item or phenomenon to um, pull back, as the camera people say, and take a wider view. Case in point, when... uh, George W. Bush, now hailed by Michelle Obama as a funny, nice, funny guy, when he was um, saying that Iraq violated the three cardinal principles of his administration, no harboring of terrorists, no possession of weapons of mass destruction, no invading of a neighbor, that that's why we had to uh, take up arms against Iraq. Uh, I was given to urge on occasion that people take those three principles and uh, and just widen the widen the uh, viewfinder, widen the view of the viewfinder, and notice that those three principles were being violated indubitably, without having to fake the intel, by our good friend Pakistan. And um, we didn't do that, (laughs) needless to say, trillions of dollars later. Now we're in this situation, kind of arguably semi-post-COVID, where politicians around the country are pointing to the rise in serious crime, particularly uh, gun crime, particularly Murder-type gun crime. It's the worst-type gun crime. In, um, you know, in a, in a New York, making that the focus of a political campaign, never bothering to mention, and not having the media locally mention, that the same thing is happening in Chicago and uh, New Orleans and cities across the country. And, I learned this week, in London, big Big increase, not gun crime, of course, knife crime. They have knife culture there. They take their knives to see Carmen. But it, it, it would kind of blunt the impact of the political sc- score counting if one realized that what's happening in, in one's own city is happening in cities across the country and across the pond. But we wouldn't want that, would we? Hello, welcome to the show. But we wouldn't want that, would we? <laughs> Hello, welcome to the show. Hot town, summer in the city The back of my neck getting dirty and gritty I've been down, isn't it a pity doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city well all around people looking off dead 
Walking on the sidewalk hotter than a match From the city of New Orleans, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of a smart world. It's a 
You know what's smart? Those smart thermostats let you uh, control your temperature in your home from outside your home. You know who else can do that? Your power company. Isn't that smart? Texas power companies, specifically. Heated up some customers' homes last week by remotely controlling their smart thermostats, according to a Houston TV station, K-H-O-U. K-H-O-U. Who? You. One resident in the state, which is facing a heat wave that is straining its power grid, told the station his family awoke from a nap, sweating and shocked their home has gotten as hot as 78 degrees Fahrenheit. Turns out they'd enrolled their thermostats in an energy conservation promotion called Smart Savers Texas. Smart Savers Texas, run by a company called Energy Hub, in partnership with power companies. The program gives Energy Hub permission to adjust participants' smart thermostats remotely during times of peak energy demand in exchange for entry into a sweepstakes. We can be bought so cheap, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) We are cheap dates. During a demand response event, Smart Savers Texas increases the temperature on participating thermostats by up to 4 degrees to reduce energy consumption and relieve stress on the grid, says the Energy Hub Vice President of Customer Solutions. No longer relations. These are solutions. Forget relations. We got solutions. Uh, That person said that quote to Insider.com. Adding the ability to reduce energy consumption is critical to managing the grid in Texas and nationwide. Although they didn't, they didn't touch my thermostat because it ain't smart. Thermostat owners typically get an offer to participate in the program from their device manufacturer or energy provider via email or mobile app, says the uh, Customer Solutions Executive, and, quote, every participant actively agrees to the terms of the program and can opt out of a demand response event at any time, unquote. She told USA Today that demand response events occurred rarely, two to eight times a summer. Energy Hub didn't immediately have a response to insiders' questions about whether it notified participants before adjusting their thermostats. Centerpoint Energy, a major energy provider in Texas, said it had conducted a test curtailment event from 2 to 5 p.m. last Wednesday and that at its direction, Energy Hub adjusted the thermostat set point for those enrolled customers. Months after those winter storms overloaded Texas' power grid, the state is dealing with a heat wave that led the state's top energy regulator to ask residents to conserve power last week. Smart thermostats allow power companies one way to reduce strain on a power grid at scale, meaning lots of people. But they also sparked privacy and safety concerns for some residents who said they weren't aware what they had enrolled in. I just knew about the sweepstakes. That sounded good. Was my daughter at the point of overheating? A Deer Park, Texas resident said to uh, Kehu, adding, she's three months old. They dehydrate very quickly. I wouldn't want anybody else controlling my things for me, this parent, Brandon English, told uh, the TV station. 
he unenrolled his thermostat after the event. It's that small print, mister. Google, getting smarter, had um, planned to get rid of so-called third-party cookies. These were uh, little pieces of code that were implanted in uh, websites that you visit so you could be tracked. Now Google is delaying that plan to end support for third-party cookies in its Chrome browser by nearly two years. It was mounting pressure over that plan that, according to Financial Times, strikes at one of the foundations of today's online advertising industry. We wouldn't want that. Search Engine said it was... Search Engine? The um, It's more than that. Google said it was holding off to allow more time for discussion with regulators and companies involved in digital advertising and to avoid jeopardizing the business models of many web publishers which support freely available content, meaning you'd have to pay to read stuff if they didn't splash ads all over it. The uh, respite was greeted with relief in the digital advertising world. And oh, what a world that is. It's a smart world. It has faced uncertainty with the looming end of one of its main ways of targeting you and me. Delay will give the online advertising industry longer to refine alternatives to cookies. An analyst at Truist. <laughs> Truist. Third-party cookies help advertisers target personalized advertising. They've been under fire for years. Apple's Safari browser and Mozilla's Firefox browser already block them by default, as do two other browsers, Brave and Clicks, with a Q. However, Chrome accounts for about two-thirds of the browser market, making its impact far more significant. Also, Google's dominant position in many other parts of digital advertising has raised worries that it could use the end of cookies and the replacement system to gain an advantage over rivals. UK's Competition and Markets Authority said it was worried that Google was determined to proceed with changes to cookies in ways which advantage its own businesses and limit competition from its rivals. That sounds smart. It is a smart world, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, we're not through talking about your and my relationship to advertisers in the digital world. No, no. For now, it is time for me to read the trades for you. This is from Advertising Age. Facebook's brand safety test lets advertisers avoid problem users. I'll read it for you. Facebook now has a plan to clean up its news feed for brands. This involves categorizing up to 1.8 billion daily users for their propensity to share political posts and then to give advertisers the option to avoid targeting those accounts. That's according to ad executives familiar with the social network's new brand safety tests. 
recent weeks, Facebook began an alpha test to offer topic exclusions for a select group of advertisers. Facebook hasn't said what brands would be among the first to experiment, and has shared few details about the technical challenges. Advertising executives who spoke with AdAge anonymously say the early concept is taking shape, and it includes analyzing tens of millions of users' accounts and blocking ones that are deemed unsuitable for brands that want to avoid news and politics. They're creating these propensity models, propensity for harmful or violating contact, content to show up in someone's news feed, says one ad agency exec. Based on that, they determine whether to monetize that person's feed or not. Facebook declined to comment on specifics, but did acknowledge the tests. We have begun building and testing topic exclusion controls for newsfeed with a small group of advertisers. It's still early days, says a spokesman. We'll share more when we have it. The newsfeed topic exclusion program represents a shift in Facebook's thinking. Social Network did have a stance that context is not an important variable in newsfeed, meaning the topics of posts that appeared above or below an ad were not relevant to how well that ad performed. But Facebook has been criticized for the level of disinformation and hate speech circulating on the service, and brands started demanding ways to ensure sponsored posts do not appear adjacent to objectionable content. Recently, Facebook agreed to audits of how well it adheres to brand safety guidelines set by the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, part of the World Federation of Advertisers. And what a federation that is. They all speak very loudly. The group developed criteria for what constitutes subjects, like hate speech. Facebook also agreed to audit its Community Standards Enforcement Report a quarterly look at how much offensive content, including hate speech, sex, and bullying, it removes. There's sex on Facebook? Facebook says it keeps such content to a low murmur, limiting the chances an ad would show up near those posts. Brands want confirmation from an independent party. So far, Facebook says it was testing news and politics exclusions in the news feed, but advertisers say the categories will soon expand. One hurdle, according to another advertiser, is that certain accounts could be flagged as undesirable for ads, but people connected as friends to that account might not fall in the same bucket. If the related account sees posts from the friend, then an ad could still show up next to that content. Uh-oh. Facebook's plan does parallel some of the developments in the rest of the news industry where brands began to create block lists that avoid news altogether. 
but that harms the revenue prospects of respected publishers like the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. On the other hand, let's just be hypothetical for a moment and imagine that you wanted to see fewer ads on Facebook. They've just told you how to do it. throw in an offensive word or two every once in a while and you'll get on a block list you're welcome now the ideas occur when I read the trades for you copyrighted feature of this broadcast Well, there's been uh, a lot of changes in Trump world this week. A couple of major ones we'll discuss on this program. One is that uh, Ivanka Trump and her husband, Jared Kushner, are distancing themselves from the former president. Yes, I said former president. Isn't that wild? Sometimes the former president complains for several hours about the stolen 2020 election, according to CNN. Other times his frustrations emerge in fits and starts when he's discussing his hopeful return to politics. The gap between Trump and his daughter and son-in-law grows wider by the week, according to 12 former Trump White House officials. Family friends and members of Trump's team who spoke anonymously to CNN. large part of the reason for the separation is Trump's constant harping on the past. Former president has started to question the role that Kushner has played in the presidential legacy. He's starting to doubt that the uh, initiatives Jared Kushner took to have Israel sign peace treaties with countries with which it was not involved in hostilities, doubting that that was actually advancing the cause of Middle East peace. Join the club, Mr. Ex-President. He's also concerned, according to this report, that Jared Kushner is claiming credit for things that Trump thinks he deserves the credit for. That, that doesn't seem like him, does it? And, of course... Unspoken in this report is the idea that maybe, well, they're building the the uh, Kushners, Javanka, uh, are building a uh, a mansion on a private island off the coast of Florida. So they may not be that concerned about returning to New York social circles, which of course would demand a lot of, uh, as they say in Britain. 
a lot of clear blue water between themselves. And the ex-president, I said ex-president, but it does more than suggest it um, actually contends this report that the old days are over. Fading into the past. More about the changes in Trump world moments from now here on the show, which this is, but now, ladies and gentlemen. News of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim the Third. Okay, the, the word is in. A sharply limited number of fans will be allowed to attend the Tokyo Olympics. That was organizing group's announcement this week as the organizers try to save some of the spirit of the Games. 
or even cheering has been banned. Yay. Yay. Organizers set a limit of 50% capacity up to a maximum of 10,000 fans, all of whom must be Japanese residents for each Olympic venue, indoors or out. If the coronavirus cases rise again, the rules could be changed again. Fans could be still barred altogether. Opposition among the Japanese for holding the games remains high, according to the Associated Press. New infections in Tokyo have begun to subside. Still, health officials fear that in a country where the vast majority of people have yet to be vaccinated, crowds at the Olympics could drive cases up. The country's top medical advisor, Dr. Shigeto Omi, recommended last week the safest way to hold the Olympics would be without fans. But wait, there's more. The organizing committee said participants will be allowed to bring alcoholic beverages into the athlete's village. That is to say, athletes will be able to do that, participants in the games. But only for consumption in their rooms. Yes, the Olympic Committee is now encouraging drinking alone. This is part of efforts to ensure the safety of the games. And the organizing committee said it will not distribute condoms to participants during their stay in the village. They'll get their condoms on their departure, a break from recent Olympic tradition. They've been given to participants since the Seoul Olympics in 88 to raise awareness of AIDS. Speaking of alcohol, organizers of the Games said they will ban alcohol at the Games for fans. It said it was considering sales of alcohol two days earlier, prompting outrage from many Japanese, with Tokyo and several other areas just emerging from a prolonged state of emergency. Asahi Breweries, an official sponsor, endorsed the ban. And Japanese Emperor Naruhito is apparently concerned that the Olympics could cause a rise in coronavirus infections. Quote, His Majesty is very worried about the current infection situation, says the Grand Steward of the Household Imperial Household Agency. I suppose that he was concerned that while there are voices of anxiety among the public, the event may lead to the expansion of infections, said the spokesperson. The Emperor is honorary patron for the Games. He holds no political power. It's rare for him to speak out. Screw the Emperor, it's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And now, by a different orchestra, news of the godly. What we in the United States call Native Americans uh, are referred to in Canada as members of the First Nations. 
and a First Nation in Canada's Saskatchewan province is threatening, or sorry, is treating a non-defunct residential school as a crime scene following the discovery of 751 unmarked graves. This is just weeks after a similar discovery in British Columbia that prompted a fresh reckoning over Canada's colonial past. Yes, Canada, ladies and gentlemen. They seem so nice. Chief Cadmus Delorme of the Cowess First Nation said the graves were found on the site of the Marieville Indian Residential School after a search with ground-penetrating radar. The search was launched at the beginning of this month. This is not a mass grave site. These are unmarked graves, said Delorme at a press conference this week, adding the discovery has reopened the pain that many suffered at the school. This is all according to The Guardian. The grave site is there. It is real, he said. From the 19th century, more than 150,000 First Nations children were forced to attend state-funded, Christian-run schools as part of a program to assimilate them into Canadian society. Don't you want to be like us? The children were forced to convert to Christianity. Forced to convert. Not allowed to speak their native languages. Many were beaten and verbally abused. Thousands died from disease, neglect, and suicide. Sounds like a good deal. Hey, I'd like to assimilate in those circumstances, wouldn't you? Kawa says First Nation said the number of unmarked graves at the site is the most significantly is the most significantly substantial to date in Canada. It's not known how many of the remains belong to children, or if any adults were also buried. Delorme, Delorme said. He added that local residents alleged the graves' headstones were illegally removed. Removing headstones is a crime in this country, he said. We're treating this as a crime scene. Last month, the remains of 215 children, some as young as three, were found buried on the site of what was once Canada's largest indigenous residential school near Kamloops in British Columbia. The Maryville School, operated from 1898 to 1996, east of uh, Regina, the capital of Saskatchewan. The First Nation took over the school cemetery from the Catholic Church in the 1970s. News of the discovery prompted a fresh outpouring of grief and frustration from national leaders. We're seeing the results of the genocide Canada committed, genocide on our treaty land, said the chief of the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous First Nation. Canada, we've known as a nation that tried to exterminate the First Nations. Now we have evidence, unquote, the chief. Six years ago, Canada had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to describe the school's policy as one of, quote, cultural genocide, unquote. In recent weeks, there have been growing calls for the Catholic Church, which operated many of the schools, to release its records on the institutions. Quote, our people deserve more than apologies and sympathies, which we are grateful for, said the chief. Our people deserve justice. That's... Asking a lot, isn't it? A little, push, little pushy there, don't you think? And deadline Iowa City, Iowa. Best place for an Iowa City, I think. 
Roman Catholic priests sexually abused minors across Iowa for decades. Church leaders covered it up. Reforms implemented in recent years have largely stopped the problem. That's according to a three-year review by Iowa's Attorney General, reported by the Associated Press. Report issued by Attorney General Tom Miller said the number of complaints victims and the duration of the abuse was, quote, overwhelming. Not just whelming. And the cover-up was extensive, similar to what has been found elsewhere in the U.S. Dozens of victims came forward to Miller's office describing lifelong consequences. The pain was real and lasting whether the abuse happened 60 years ago or more recently, said the report. In some cases, survivors explained why they kept the abuse secret. In others, they described how their allegations were ignored or covered up for decades. According to the report, the image and reputation of the church were put ahead of the enormous harm to young people, unquote. Only five Iowa priests, according to the rep- report, have been the subject of allegations since 2002. Bishops who participated in concealing past problems are no longer in charge in Iowa. Where'd they send them? The attorney general said reforms implemented since 2002 are working. His report praised the automatic reporting of all allegations by church officials to local law enforcement authorities. Imagine that. Telling the cops. Who would have thunk it? News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. Now back to changes in Trump world. You uh, probably saw this, at least in passing. A New York court has suspended Rudy Giuliani's New York state law license. The court concluded he made, quote, demonstrably false and misleading statements, unquote, in his effort to reverse the results of the 2020 election to try to swing it to Trump. Sorry, ex-president. Giuliani represented Trump as his personal attorney, of course. Uh, He and a legal team that laid out sprawling and unsupported allegations of a conspiracy among Democratic officials and foreign governments to steal the election, according to the Wall Street Journal, reporting on the court. These false statements, says the court, were made to improperly bolster Giuliani's narrative that the election was stolen from his client. This is the New York Appellate Division in an order based on the findings of a continuing investigation by the Attorney Grievance Committee. It's unusual for the Appellate Division to suspend a lawyer's license before the Grievance Committee completes its investigation, according to ethics lawyers. The 33-page order said the court acted now because Giuliani's conduct threatened the public interest, citing his past persistent and pervasive dissemination of these false statements in the media. Quote, this is not a situation where the uncontroverted misconduct consisted of only a few isolated incidents, said the court. He can fight the decision in upcoming disciplinary proceedings, which could take several months or years, may eventually lead to his disbarment or a suspension. His lawyers disagreed. How about that? But Giuliani has plans to proceed in a different way. 
regular lawyers said I didn't have a case when my car plowed into a city garbage truck, but uh, Rudy got me a new car and an apology letter, too. Who does that? Rudy do. My husband's divorce lawyer was much smarter than mine, but Rudy knew how to put the fear of the Lord into my husband's attorney big time. Rudy do. Hi, I'm Rudy. You know, lawyers are great. I was one myself. But sometimes you just need something else. Something more. Something that other lawyers fear. You need me. Giuliani and Giuliani is the firm to call when normal lawyers just can't get it done. Rudy's been there when the big deals go down. And he can make them go down for you. All the way down. With years of experience as the fixer's fixer, Rudy's the guy the big shots call when just a lawyer isn't enough. Just a lawyer can't threaten a judge, but Rudy do. Just a lawyer can't silence opposition witnesses, but Rudy do. Just a lawyer can't break the rules, but rules are made to be broken, and Rudy do. Giuliani and Giuliani offers you double protection. Rudy's son, Andrew, is still a practicing lawyer. So when it comes to filing motions or other important documents, practice makes perfect. But when just a lawyer is not enough, Rudy knows how the big guys get persuaded. And it's not with briefs. So when you've got a case regular non-disbarred lawyers say isn't a case, call 1-800-RUDY, D-O-O. The extra O is for extra ouch. Nobody else would say that in a commercial, but Rudy do. Giuliani and Giuliani is not licensed to practice law, and that's the way we like it. She loved me fine when I was batting from Hong Kong, and she dug it even better, calling long distance on the phone, and cool and sexy. Getting that postcard from Brazil Oh, but now I'm back, get back home All she wants to give is the kids She said, oh, when you get back We're going to cha-cha all night long But she lied She said, oh, when you get back We're going to sing a different song But she lied I flew in on the red eye I put a quarter in the phone Cause there ain't no 
And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Britney Spears has apologized to her fans for not being honest about the reality of her controversial conservatorship, saying, quote, she was embarrassed to share what happened to me, unquote. In her first public statement since her courtroom testimony, the singer told her 30.6 million Instagram followers that her social media persona had given the wrong impression and that she regretted, quote, pretending like I've been okay the past two years. You know that she uh, asked a judge this week to end the conservatorship that has given her father, Jamie Spears, control of her finances, medical care, career, and sex life for 13 years. On the other hand, gossip writer Perez Hilton is expressing remorse over the way he once treated Britney Spears during an interview about Spears' conservatorship trial. Hilton said he takes, quote, full accountability for his past behaviors. Quote, I can't say I was just young and dumb. I think we know a lot more, and I think a lot of folks, myself included, were shocked and alarmed for her young children. I know I didn't express myself as well as I could have. I didn't lead with empathy and compassion, said the gossip writer. I absolutely apologize and carry deep shame and regret. He emailed a letter to her last year in which he apologized privately. But he says, I just want to hug her. So far, no apology from her dad. The West Point Association of Graduates has apologized after it tweeted that Robert E. Lee announced the end of slavery in the United States. The official alumni association of West Point deleted the tweet, or detweeted the leak, which claimed the Confederate general had delivered the order in Galveston alongside Union General Gordon Granger, which proclaimed that all slaves were free. After the tweet was shared, there was a fierce online backlash over the false claim, according to Newsweek, that Lee had assisted Granger in delivering the order. The uh, Alumni Association later apologized for its earlier post and said it had since removed it from the social media platform, saying, quote, it was both factually incorrect and hurtful. We deleted the post so as not to extend the offense and are reviewing our process for approval of social media posts. The Archbishop of Ottawa, Ottawa, has apologized for the role of the Catholic Church in administering the country's residential school system, about which we were just talking. We, yes, I have a frog in my pocket. And he requested a formal apology by Pope Francis. As we celebrate National Indigenous Peoples Day, I extend my sincere apology for the involvement of the Catholic Church to the residential school system, and I pray for the healing as the Church in Canada walks the path of reconciliation with the indigenous people in our community. That's from Archbishop Marcel Dampus of Ottawa in a video posted on YouTube. As a member of the Catholic Church and as a bishop, I am so sorry. I know I'm not alone in my sorrow and contrition, he said. I add my voice to those who are asking the Holy Father for an apology to indigenous peoples of Canada, he said. In addition to him, the Archbishop of Vancouver recently suggested that Pope Francis should formally apologize for the church's role in the residential school system. 
we're going to have to have the bishops of all provinces of Canada ask the Pope before how many provinces in Canada ladies and gentlemen nine Joy Bihar stepped in it Tuesday on The View when she made an offensive joke about Carl Nassib the first active NFL player to come out as gay Bihar didn't seem to think anything of the joke at first. Megan McCain could be seen cringing after the fact. Producers clearly did as the co-host apologized for making a, quote, inappropriate joke just a few minutes later. The um, talk show cast member, Behar, asked her co-host repeatedly why this is such a big deal in the year 2021 for an NFL player to come out as gay. The ladies ignored the comment and instead reminded viewers and Behar that Nassib's announcement is crucial for representation, particularly for LGBTQ plus kids who may not see themselves reflected on the field. When Anna Navarro said she may even watch a football game every now and then, following his announcement, Behar came in with a joke. Anna, after they said penetration in the end zone, they lost me. Her co-hosts laughed awkwardly. The discussion made it around the panel. Behar apologized for the offensive remark. By the way, that inappropriate joke I made for daytime television, scratch it, she said. Make believe. I never said it. A grandmother from Indiana who participated in the January 6th thing at the Capitol was sentenced this week. Three years of probation for her participation. Anna Morgan Lloyd, a 49-year-old hair salon owner, pleaded guilty to one misdemeanor count of parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. Max sentenced six months in jail. But the judge gave her probation. And 40 hours of community service and $500 fine. Sentence is what the defense asked for. Morgan Lloyd did not participate in any violence, posted on Facebook after the attack that it was, quote, the best day ever, adding a curse word to the description, as in best, best effing day ever. Prosecutors said they found the sentence appropriate. She tearfully apologized to the court for particip- participating in what she called a disgraceful day. She changed her mind about the day. I want they, I went there to show support for President Trump peacefully. I'm ashamed that it became a savage display of violence that day. She did not face any major charges for her role. Billie Eilish has apologized after a video surfaced, appearing to show her mouthing a racist slur. The 19-year-old pop star shared a lengthy statement at Instagram, writing she was appalled and embarrassed by the clip. Part of an edited compilation video. On TikTok, in it, she appears to mouth an anti-Asian slur featured in Tyler, the Creator's 2011 song, Fish, and is filmed speaking in an affected voice. In her apology, Eilish said she was 13 or 14 in the videos and did not know at the time the slur was a derogatory term. Quote, I am appalled and embarrassed and want to barf that I ever mouthed along to that word, she wrote. This song was the only time I'd ever heard that word as it was never used around me by anyone in my family. Regardless of my ignorance and age at the time, nothing excuses the fact that it was hurtful, and for that, I am sorry. The uh, 
Footage of her imitating accents was her speaking in a, quote, silly gibberish made-up voice, something she's done since she was a child. Quoted as absolute gibberish and just me goofing around and is in no way an imitation of anyone or any language, accent, or culture in the slightest, unquote. Somebody's been talking to her lawyer. British Health Minister Matt Hancock resigned as Britain's Health Secretary one day after he apologized for breaching COVID distancing regulations by being photographed kissing an aide, an advisor. He was photographed by a camera somebody put in his office. That's nutty. And men who were sexually abused as boys at a training school for Roman Catholic priests in Britain have welcomed a bishop's momentous apology. The group were pupils at St. Peter Claver College in West Yorkshire when they were molested in the 60s and 70s. At a meeting with the men, the Bishop of Leeds said their abusers were people that they should have been able to trust. One victim said the apology marked a changing attitude from the church. St. Peter Claver was a seminary run by a Roman Catholic mission, the Verona Fathers, now known as the Comboni Order. Former students who experienced sexual abuse at the school said their complaints had been ignored for decades by the church, being told until now to go away and forget it. One victim said the bishop's apology was the first time a senior figure in the church had acknowledged what had happened to them. So that's news from the Comboni Order. Nothing yet from the Zamboni Order. Ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week a copyright feature for this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this edition of the show. Back next week, same time, on these radio stations, on your audio device of choice, whenever you want it, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And it would be just like somebody telling you otherwise if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh -huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead and to Garrett Pittman here at WWNO for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, you can talk to me. Also, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, not for me, 
for you. And you can get the playlist of the music played here. All of that. And so much more is at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of, Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.